Welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. We are glad you are taking advantage of this resource. If you would like to find out more information about our church or connect with us, go to cornerstonebv.org. You can also check us out on our Facebook page, at CornerstoneBV. We hope that the message today impacts your life and draws you closer in your walk with Christ. Amen. Amen. May have a seat again. How are we doing this morning? How's everybody online doing? I can hear you. I can hear you. I really can't. Um, hopefully you are, are doing well. Um, you know, uh, we, if you were with us, we're going through this last, this final week series, which we're looking in the book of Mark. And um, uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about how Mark likes to use the literary device of a sandwich. You guys remember the sandwich? We had two pieces of bread. I think we had some, uh, I don't know. What was it? Pepperoni? Something. Meat of some kind. And, uh, um, and I showed you how um, he used the sandwich in, to, to show similarities. Um, that the, the fig tree was a similarity to the temple. So when Jesus is cursing the fig tree, he's cursing the temple. And so I, I bring that up because, again, we see in Mark, he uses a sandwich. You know, all of these are true events, but sometimes the gospel writers don't take them in chronological order. They order them to show a point, right? And so Mark does that with our story today, and really it's all three. And so I was thinking about making a sandwich again for you, um, but I actually got thinking because this time it's not uh, one of similarity. It's a sandwich to show you a contrast. And so I was going to bring an Oreo cookie. Okay, but I found in the grocery store, and I don't know where these have been all my life, anyone had one of these? Oreo Cakesters, huh? They're very empty now after three gatherings and all these kids have been, I saved one so my sermon could be saved, okay? Uh, and, and I wanted to show you this one last one I have, um, and uh, you can all fight for it at the end of the sermon, but... It shows the idea of contrast. It's, in a way, a sandwich. Let me stand up here to show you. Right, so what we're going to see is sort of bookended kind of places and circumstances of darkness. You have, you have the circumstances of the religious leaders, the, the, uh, the Sanhedrin, who are seeking to kill Jesus. The other end, we're going to see Judas, who seeks to betray and, again, kill Jesus. So in the middle of that, right, is that just that creamy goodness. Mm. Don't eat before you preach. It's never a good idea. But in this case, it was a great idea. So good. So it's when you see that oozy goodness, right, it's contrasted by the, the cookie pieces. And in the middle of that is this story of a woman who Jesus said, hey, your example is going to be so great that as long as the gospel is proclaimed, your story will be tied to it as an example, that she stands bright in between these other two pieces. And when we look at that and, and look at her and her story as an example, let's put that there for you, um, it's going to, I just want us to, to, to just say this, don't push Jesus out of our Christian life, our Christian life, that's the, that's the key. I want you to imagine um, your, your birthday's coming up. And mine is, by the way, Paul, just want you to know that. My birthday's coming up. Paul keeps saying that I'm reminding everyone my birthday's coming up. Um, so, but I want you to imagine it's yours. And, one of, and your best friend, if you have one of those, uh, says, hey, we're going to honor you. Big day. I'm going to pick you up. We're going to get some other friends together. We're going to go to your favorite restaurant, favorite amusement park. It's going to be a great day. You're like, wow, that's, I'm psyched, right? And so your best friend pulls up, got a pretty roomy car. It's got three rows of seats. And you sit in the passenger seat, right? And, 
and you're going, and you go to another friend's house to pick up some more people, and your friend turns to you and goes, hey, you know Joe? He really likes to sit in front. You can kind of see what's going on. Would you mind just kind of sitting in the back? You're like, no, no big deal. I'm humble. I can do that. So you sit in the back. Some other people fill in the car, right? And so then you go to your favorite restaurant, and you meet other people. And you're like, you should come with us to the next stop. So they come, and they pile into the car, right? And next thing you know, you're pushed to the third row. You still got a seat, but your birthday, but you're there, right? And so you go to your favorite amusement park, all these, you know, play games, get all this paraphernalia that you get, right? And by the time, like, they, they, they start shoving that into the seat you were sitting at, people are scrambling, getting in seats, doors are shutting, and your friend takes off, and you're left on the curb. And they're just so joyous as they celebrate your birthday. How would that feel? I think sometimes as Christians, and I don't think we mean to do it, I hope not, that, that we get so busy with the to-do list and the to-do-not list and the theological boxes and the what we're doing that we can run on empty because we've forgotten who this is really about, Jesus. And, and I think this beautiful example that we're going to see sandwiched into two, um, in between two bad examples shows us that. To put Jesus first and foremost in our affections and in our worship and in our joy and that that is everything else flows from there. Let's pray as we look to that together. Lord, we, we come before you, and I'm just so grateful that you have tied this story, this woman's story, into ours. That over 2,000 years later, I can proclaim the gospel with her as an example of how to be. And God, you know where we're at. You know everyone in the room, everyone who's joining us online, you know whether we're in a great spot with you or not good at all or not sure what we believe or somewhere in between, with your spirit, would you use me as your vessel to meet each one of us where we need you most? Get me out of the way that it's not something I might say, that it's something your spirit might say to us. It's in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen, amen. So we'll put it on the screen. Um, but if you want to follow along, we're, gonna, we're in this final week series in Mark chapter 14, all right? Um, we're not going to look at the whole chapter. We're just going to kind of look at this. Uh, the Lord's Supper, by the way, that we celebrated, that is in chapter 14, if you did your, your reading guide. Um, and the reason I'm not preaching on that is because we have Monday, Thursday, which we really focus on, uh, on, on that. And so hopefully you can join us for, for that. So uh, I want to remind you kind of where we're at with this, right? So Jesus and his disciples, right, they have come to Jerusalem. They spend most of their time in Galilee. But they come to Jerusalem sometimes, especially for the festivals where Jewish men are supposed to come. And so this is Passover. And if you remember in Leviticus, God set aside these feasts at very specific times. And the Passover is one day. And it's a celebration of that, that, that tenth plague in Egypt. But then there's a week that follows Passover, and that's the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. By Jesus' day, they were interchanged. You could call it Passover, but it's really this whole eight-day festival where they're in the city. The city swells to over 250,000 people at that time, which is like four times more than it normally was. So that's why Pontius Pilate comes and stays. That's why the Roman guards are on edge, because it's a lot of people probably drinking a little too much wine, right? And they're, they're, they get excited, they get fervor, and they're like, rebellion can take place here. And so that's the setting that you see uh, this happen, which is why the, the Jewish leaders are, are worried too about what they're going to do with Jesus. Watch. It was now two days 
before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest by stealth and kill Jesus. For they said, not during the feast, let there be, lest there be an uproar from the people. So they're worried, right, that a lot of people like Jesus, and if they arrest him publicly, that could cause a real problem. So they're thinking, let's, let's wait, right? Let's just kind of wait till it's a, a quieter time to, to do that. But what we really see in this first uh, uh, half of our sandwich, right, this dark situation is these Sanhedrin, this, the highest council of Jewish leaders who should have known when the Messiah was coming, and yet they hate Jesus and they want to kill him. Why? They want to kill Jesus because Jesus is bad for religious business, isn't he? He's bad for the business of haves with God and have-nots. He's bad for the business of saying, you're in the in crowd, you're on the outside. Jesus has always been, always will be bad business for that. Right? And so that's why if you're here and you're like, man, I expected the church to fall apart. When I walked in the doors, you are exactly where you belong. You thought you were an outsider. You're really an insider. It's called kingdom economics. And so these Jewish leaders hated him for that. He ate with sinners. He hung out with the poor and the sick and the lepers and the ugh. He was always with those people. We need to kill him for it. And so that's one half of the sandwich, which leads us in to where we spend most of our time with um, this meal where this woman we see is this bright, shining example, beautiful example. Now, this story is told uh, in three of the Gospels. We have, we're going to look at Mark's version of it. Matthew and John also do. And they give a few more details. John tells us that this, because Mark's not going to, and Mark always restricts details. And so Mark doesn't give her a name. But John says this is Mary. Now, I know it's confusing. There's a lot of Marys in the New Testament. But the Mary who's sister with Martha and Lazarus, right? And they lived in Bethany, and that's usually where Jesus and his disciples would stay two miles outside of Jerusalem. So it makes some sense. They'd be having a meal uh, with them, and they'd be uh, together at this time. And so the, the, John tells us that, but Mark, he doesn't give a name to her. And I don't, you know, we're not told why. I think it's because Mark is saying that you could be Mary, that I could be Mary. And she's an example for all of us. Otherwise, you're like, well, I mean, her circumstances may be a little different than mine. No, 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 no. That she is an example, a simple yet profound example for all of us, right? Luke, by the way, has a story similar, but it was earlier in his ministry. It was at the house of a, of a Pharisee, and it was a former prostitute that anointed Jesus' feet. So that was a different account that, that, that Luke has. But these three, John, Matthew, and Mark, have this one. And so it says, Mark puts it this way. While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. I love that. That's not a nickname you want, is it? Known as Simon the leper. I told you guys during the video series, I have psoriasis. Imagine if I was known as, hey, here's Pastor Jamie, the man with psoriasis. You know, I'd be like, okay, I don't need the whole world to know that, right? But, but apparently when Mark wrote this, everyone knew who he was. And, and, and I, I can only guess, but imagine that he's a former leper, and probably even Jesus healed him, right? And he's hosting, but here's why it's important. He's someone who's supposed to be on the outside, a leper. And here he is hosting the Messiah for a meal. And so he's reclining, right, a formal meal. That's how they did it. I think we should bring that back in, right, laying down and eating. Good for digestion. 
Um, and a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure and very, nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. John says she anointed his feet. So which is it? I would say both, right? Started with the head and then anointed his feet. I want you to imagine this scene because it's easy, especially if you know this story, it's easy to be like, oh yeah, I know what happens here. But if you were there, this would have been crazy because what happened was she took this and we told later this ointment, which was made from a, a kind of a rare herb in India and it was really costly. In fact, he says it's over 300 denarii, which is the yearly wage of kind of a common sort of mean average. So, so if we were to say today, it would be worth about 40 to 50 grand, right? So most likely, and again, this is just conjecture, but she wasn't a super wealthy person, most likely. So she, this is probably an heirloom of some kind. A lot of times they would hand this down. It might be like you might have your great-grandmother's pearls or somebody's uh, really valuable jewelry that you could sell if you were really desperate but you don't really want to, right, because you want to hand it down in the family. And so she has this, and it would be sealed so it stays good. And, and it would have no handle but a long neck. Uh, and, and, and here she comes. Now, if you're even going to use some of this precious, precious oil, I mean, this is money, right, basically, if you're even going to use it, you could almost imagine her kind of unsealing it and maybe just a few dabs, right? Just a little bit. I mean, that'd be a lot. It's still a decent amount of money if you give her a little bit. But here's the radical scene. You see her. She comes and she breaks it, right? So you can't reseal that now. It's done. And so what she's saying is, no, no, no. I want them to have it all. All of it. And you would think, like, we think, wow, that's crazy. Awesome, right? Everyone else around him did not think that. And so she's doing this and anointing Jesus. Remember, all she sees is Jesus. The disciples and those around her uh, doing this had a whole different, whole different thinking on it. There were some who said to themselves indignantly. By the way, if you're ever indignant about something, calm down, all right? It's not something, I'm indignant right now. Like, just calm it down, right? You're probably not in the right when you're indignant. And this is that case here. Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. See, they would usually in the Passover give a gift to the poor. So that's why I'm saying that. And they scolded her. That uh, English word translated from the Greek is kind of what you would think when, if you've ever been scolded. But it's big, like she's doing this thinking, what a great thing, right? All the people were like, are you kidding me? This is so dumb. Why would you do that? We could be giving, like they're, they're lit, they just lit into her. And she's, she's got to be thinking, I want to crawl under a rock. I just did something terrible, right? I, I, apparently nobody thinks this was a good idea. Like John says that was Judas because he was a treasurer and was skimming off the top. It said that. But Mark is very important, wants to make sure it's plural, some. And so it, Judas may have been the ringleader, but they went along with it and said, yeah, yeah, take it easy with what you're giving to Jesus. What are they really saying? Jesus isn't worth this much, aren't they? Imagine saying that or even thinking that. But that's what they are. And, and, and we still get that, right? Someone's like, easy, don't get so excited in church. Calm it down. Right? It's okay to get off your rocker because your favorite fam, uh, Final Four team won. But Jesus, you've got to keep it conservative. Don't sing so loud. 
Don't get so excited about Jesus. And I think we do that because what we see when people are excited about Jesus, we see a mirror, and we see we're not, and instead of letting God dig into our own heart, we start judging others. That's what happened here. And they're, they're, they're trying to follow Jesus, but they're actually pushing Jesus out of the car. She isn't. She's keeping her front and center. So, so they, they're, he, she's probably ready to crawl under a, a, a rock, but Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me, a amazing thing by blessing me like this. Why are you uh, scolding her? And then a pretty controversial verse, <laughs> he says this, for you always have the poor with you, and wherever you want, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. Imagine that. He's not saying, people are like, oh, Jesus didn't want us to feed the poor. Read your Bibles, right? He's with the poor. He loves the poor. He was poor. So, right? so he wants us to feed the poor, and he's even saying that. You'll always have him with you, absolutely. But who's the main thing? And he's keeping, she is the shining example that we put Jesus first. Everything else flows from that, right? As we put Jesus first, we will feed the poor, we will bless the sick, we will, right? But he's got to stay first or we will crash and burn. And he's like, you'll always have the poor. See her, right? She says in verse 8, she has done what she could. If you were with us when we saw the widow in the treasure box and she gave two coins worth about a penny, and if you were watching, you'd be like, okay, that was really insignificant. And Jesus said almost the exact same thing. She's done what she could more than all of you. And now, a woman getting criticized for giving too much. I guess we got to keep it nice and average for Jesus, right? Don't give too little, don't give too much. And, she, and Jesus says, no, 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 she's given what she could. It's not about the amount with him, it's about your heart. Everything else comes after. He wants your affection. He wants your honor. He wants you to do beautiful things for him. And out of that, everything else flows. Right? He, says, he says, she has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. There it is. Now, I don't think she knew she was doing that. Right? She just kind of was worshiping Jesus. She's just anointing him. And Jesus says, her story is going to be wrapped up into the story of the gospel until, I, until the end. Right? And here it is, a couple thousand years later. We're telling her story as an example to proclaim the gospel. Here's what she, he's saying. She's actually anointing me for burial. He's already been telling them, they're going to hand me over, they're going to kill me, I'm going to rise. They like to try to avoid that he said that, right? They didn't like the idea of Jesus dying, but he's already warned them this is going to happen. Now he kind of says it again. He says, she's done this. This is going to be beautiful. I'm going to be anointed for burial. And then he says, for the gospel to be proclaimed. Gospel means good news. Being killed and buried is not good news unless what? He's alive. Three days later, we sang it today. He's alive, he's alive, he's alive. That's the good news that we proclaim over and over and over again. He's alive. Because he's alive, so can you be. And her story is this shining example, right, that, that we have a Savior who's died in our place and in our life after we put our trust in him becomes all about him. Not making it all about the other stuff and end up pushing him out the door. But keep him front and center. 
And so that's the, the beautiful creamy goodness in the center of our cookie. But we got to look at the, the last half. And Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and they promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. And so Judas decides, that's it. I want him done. Judas, who had spent so much time with him for three years. And now the chief priests, they're like, well, maybe there's an opportunity. We've got an inside man, right? Maybe we can find a secret place to get him, and it won't be so public. And we can take him during the, the week of the Passover. And so you see the bookends of two dark situations, and in the middle is that shining, beautiful example. But here I want us to make sure that the lesson is learned when we look at Judas. And I will preach this until I die or the Lord comes back over and over and over again. You are not right with God because you are around Jesus. Your parents are Christians. Your brother's a Christian. Your friends are Christians. You come to church. You own a Bible. <laughs> I, I'm glad about all those things, right? That doesn't save you. Judas was as around Jesus as you could be. He was his treasurer. He watched him do miracles. He heard his teachings. He was around other people who loved him. And yet Judas was as lost as could be. Being around him is not enough. You've got to put your full faith in him and what he's done. That's the gospel. And, and, and so Judas is just, just completely lost and contra and, and and so you see this contrasting thing right that the, the religious leaders were supposed to know the messiah they're either supposed to be in the inside they're out you have judas who has spent all that time with jesus should be in the inside he's one of the 12 apostles he's out and then here's a leper and a nameless woman who in their society and culture were on the outside and yet where are they they're on the in because of their faith and who jesus is and them welcoming into their lives and into their home. What an awesome news that is to you. If you felt coming in here, I'm on the outside. I've done something that's kept me from God. I, my sin is too big that you can learn. You cannot out-sin what Christ has done for you on the cross. That you are, you, the more of an outsider you feel, the more you're welcomed in. Because Christ made a way. That's the gospel. And what you need to do is put Jesus, like this woman, first and foremost in your life. And, 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 to, and let's just put it this way, because I love to put things in really complicated ways. Following Jesus is always about Jesus. That's why you pay me the big bucks, folks, right? But keep it simple. Following Jesus is always about Jesus. The more we get into the checkbox, well, I gotta study this theology and I gotta go, go do this ministry and I gotta, so what does the Bible say about this? I'm not down in any of that. I'm just saying you're gonna crash and burn if Jesus isn't still front and center of your life and your affections. Six years ago or so, some of you were, were here then, um, I found myself in a place of complete emptiness and weariness when it came to ministry. So I don't even know how I got there. Just a number of years of ministry, um, and I was at our monthly meeting with um, pastor friends of mine, and, and we'll read books and talk about topics and usually make fun of our churches together. Sorry about that. We'll usually do that, too. Um, you make fun of me, too, so it's even. Don't worry. But this particular day, usually at the sort of we leave a good chunk of time. David, who is our, our, our leader, he, he usually says, all right, guys, what's the good and the bad and the ugly? Let's share it. And let's pray together and encourage each other. And, and, and it got to me. 
and usually I'm the one making a joke, trying to make people laugh or encourage someone, and I was just like, I don't know if it's good, bad, or ugly. I just got nothing. And I told, I told them that just a few days ago, I had been driving in the car with my dad to go to my daughter's dance recital, and he was driving, and he was telling a story, and I wasn't listening. Sorry, dads, it never ends, even when they're 40. They still don't listen. And it wasn't because anything was my dad was saying. I was just looking out the window, and I, I just remember being struck with this thought, and it was so terrifying to me. I was like, I don't care. It wasn't that I didn't care about God or care about the people. I just didn't care about ministry anymore. And I was scared. I'm like, I, I don't care. The only time I'd ever felt that way, it, was, it felt like depression was right after my mom had died. It was just like, I don't care right now. And, and, and I was scared to say it, but I shared that with the other pastors, and, and they said, you need a break. You need time to rest. You're on empty, and it's, you're going to crack and burn. And, and so that I was like, yeah, but, I mean, we didn't have an associate pastor then, and I was like, how, 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 you know, how, how's that going to go? And I was like, I don't, I, don't, I don't think we can do that. And it was like just a couple days later, and I, I remember I was cleaning my garage, which I do once a year, all right? And I got a phone call from one of our elders, still one of our elders, Darren Violet, good friend, and he said, hey, you know how we've been talking about you going on a sabbatical? I think you need it now. He probably saw it pretty clearly. <laughs> and... Because I didn't want him to make fun of me the rest of my life, I tried hard not to show him that I wanted to cry right then and there because I knew how much I needed that. And the rest of the elders, the church was great. It was just a two-month summer sabbatical. Some of you remember that. Um, and, and I, uh, besides some vacations and, and some other stuff, I um, just really didn't have a plan. I just sat on my, what I call my porch of encouragement. That's where the name came from that summer. And I did a lot of walks, purgatory, chasm, especially the loop, and I would just stop and read my Bible. And I, I tell that long story just to show you that I was in that place of emptiness and weariness, and God, it was almost like he audibly placed this question in my heart. Jamie, if I take away it all, church, ministry, sermons, I take it all away, who are you? That was an ugly question, but a beautiful question. And it took me a while to answer that. And here he, what he was doing, it was, like, it was like I could see. You remember that scene where, where Jesus is just looks at everyone and he says, come, all you who are weary and heavily burdened, come. Come to me. Come to me and find your rest. He's like, you need to come back to me. And remember, this is about me. The rest will come from that. And I had to learn that lesson again and fill back up in that. And here's the thing. I still need to learn it. Amen to that. The other night I was praying. I was like, I'm a mess here. This is a mess. This is a mess. <laughs> it was like you had to say it again. I know. Come to me. You're not meant to carry that burden. You can't carry it. You've got to remember, I'm first and foremost of your affections. The rest of it, don't worry about it. Look to me. Do you know in this story, this is, if, if this story that we read of this woman is Mary, which we think it is, John tells us it's Mary, that she's mentioned three times in the Gospels. Three times. The first is a time of awesome happiness and joy. They're getting ready for a huge meal. They're going to have good friends, good food, good drink, good conversation. It's a great time, right? And, and you remember this if you grew up in church because this is the classic sister fight. Martha got angry. Because what was Mary doing? She's doing all the work, and Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus said, Martha, she's the example. She's doing what you should be doing. 
at my feet. The second time we meet Mary was a time of deep mourning and grief. Lazarus, her brother, had been dead for four days. And she was in the house, other mourners, weeping, tears, that thing that comes with that kind of grief and mourning of losing a brother so young and all that. And someone comes running into the house and says, Mary, the Lord has finally come. They've been waiting for him, right? The Lord has come. And what does she do? She ran out in the house, and she had questions for Jesus, didn't she? Where were you? But she asked those questions where? From the feet of Jesus. The third time we meet Mary is this story, right? John tells it in chapter 12, but it's in Mark 14. And Mary, again, now a time of uncertainty, talking about death and betrayal and dying and right, like time of stress and uncertainty, a lot of tension. And yet she comes and she anoints his head and then she goes back to the feet of Jesus. I don't know what season of life you're in right now. I hope it's the first one, man. I hope you're going out to lunch with good friends. I hope you're going to be playing ball with your kids in the backyard or grandkids and, and, or, or, or just, just a good season. Those are the seasons we tend to wander from the feet of Jesus because we start to think we got this or we don't need him. I'm, I'm just pleading with you. You will crash and burn. Keep him at the center of your affections and, and, and who you are. Stay at the feet of Jesus. Maybe you're in a deep time of grief right now. There's no better place than the feet of Jesus. Or maybe you're in a time of uncertainty and stress, a time of I'm not really sure what's going to happen with this or that, right? A lot of us are in the, stay at the feet of Jesus. Read your Bibles to get to know Jesus better. Pray to talk to Jesus. Give financially. Give your time because you're giving to Jesus. Everything flows from that. And you will stay full and you won't crash and burn. Because not only following Jesus is always about Jesus. This one is a little bit more, more complicated, but I didn't know how else to put it. Devotion to Jesus from this woman, this example, should reflect his incalculable worth. I can't even say it that well, but it's the word that came to my mind. In, you can't calculate how much Jesus is worth it. They were like, easy, easy now. Don't give so much. And if that's you, right, look around. Don't sing so loud. Don't give so much, then you're not understanding the incalculable worth of Jesus. And that's, hey, I'm not, that's probably where you're at right now. And that's okay. That's a journey that he's got you on. Just don't judge others if they're excited about Jesus. This is not supposed to be boring, passive faith. We are to look at who Jesus is, what he's done, what he's promised, how much he's loved us, right? And you're supposed to soar with affection with him. And for him. Don't get so, so carried away with checking off religious and theological boxes. You miss Jesus and kick him out of the door. Stay with him first and foremost because he's worth it. Right? You give because it's Jesus. Right? You serve because it's Jesus. You feed the poor because it's Jesus wants you to. Right? That, keep it at the center, him at the center of your affections because he's worth it. Right? And the more you know his worth, the more you want to proclaim his name and be unashamed. I think us guys have a hard time with this. Because what I'm talking about here is intimacy and closeness. And let's face it, the ladies are better than that than, that, than we are, right? And 
it, right? When we sing the song, Jesus, lover of my soul, guys, you get a little squeamish. Well, that's a little weird. Because we're not, is he not the lover of your soul? Doesn't mean he's your lover. But we get weirded out by it. And I'm just saying, be honest, right? Like, if it, that, that Jesus wants more. We're just bad at intimacy and closeness. Not just with, uh, if you're married, your wife, but your good friends. Or, right? We wall ourselves off. We're not supposed to display emotion, right? Unless we're at the game, you know, of course. But Jesus wants you to weep before him at times. He wants you to get excited about him. He wants you to grow in a I'm not asking you to be, not be masculine, right? He made you that way. But your feelings and affections should soar when you think and interact with Jesus. And if you're not there right now, don't judge others who are. Instead, ask God to dig into your heart. Why am I not? What, what, what do I need to do? Am I running on empty? Do I need to come back to where Jesus is? Do I need to simplify? Sometimes churches can be the worst. We've got all complicated stuff and we forget it's about Jesus and the cross and the empty tomb and he's coming again and we're going to spend eternity with the Father because of Jesus. And he's incalculable in his worth. You can't get a calculator out and see that and, and, and compute that. Here's how I want to leave you today. This is not the primary point. I didn't read this anywhere, and it's real quick, but it just kind of came to me, right? Jesus will use you in unexpected ways. This woman, hey, maybe I'm wrong. I'll ask someday. But I don't think she did this saying, you know what? I'll bet Jesus is going to make my story be part of the story of the gospel for over 2,000 years. And I don't even think she was thinking burial, right? She just loves Jesus. Jesus wants to just anoint him, and she does, and yet then Jesus proclaims she's going to be used in a humongously unexpected way. She's going to be tied in to the story of the gospel forever, right? And that same thing, not necessarily in the scriptures, right? But your life will be used in unexpected ways when you avail yourself to him. That's how it works. You'll do something, and then you'll look back and see, man, in the kingdom someday, people will come up to you and be like, you impacted me, and you're like, I don't even remember who you are. If you avail yourself to what Jesus has called you to do. Like, I think, I was thinking about this long before I was a pastor. I was at this church, and I was excited about Jesus because I was kind of a new believer. And someone asked me to teach the teen Sunday school class, and I thought that would be a good idea. I was so stupid. Those teens now are in their 30s. They got their own kids, right? So I, I was all excited. I'm like, I'm going to come prepared. We're going to read the Bible, and these teenagers are going to just be, tell me more. <laughs> I showed up, and they were like, <laughs> and so here's what I did. Their parents never knew I did this. They know now, but they didn't know at the time. I brought a coffee pot to Sunday school. Seventh graders, I'm introducing them to coffee. Their parents are like, you too. I'm like, I got them all hopped up on caffeine, and they were like, woo, right? I don't know what we accomplished, but it was certainly more than, right? I even, a couple of them, like, have said, even on social media, I just want to be thankful, Pastor Jamie, way back when he introduced me to coffee. <laughs> so I don't know if that's the only way I impacted them or not, but it wasn't. I look at some of their, not all of them, some of them now, at their own kids following the Lord, some of them even in this church, other churches, and I think I wasn't the only one. But even if it was a little piece in that Sunday school that impacted them for Christ, it was worth it. It was worth all those coffees, you know, they got spilled in that classroom. And it was worth it. And so what I'm saying is 
whatever he's called you to, don't give up. Because there's times where you're like, this is useless. It's not. You will be impacted. You're invited to this story that this woman was invited to, this gospel story. You're invited into it and become an impact in people's lives. You will never know the ripple effects that you have. Keep going. Keep serving. And keep Jesus and his incalculable worth at the center of your affection. And that way you won't run dry. Amen? Let's pray. I want to pray for you. Lord, I... I, I want to pray first for those, I just feel um, just burdened to pray for those who are with us and are in that weary place or a place of grief or a place of want or hurting, a place where they want to give up. Lord, I, I just pray you encourage them through your spirit you would just encourage them not to give up, Lord. That you're worth it. That you got them, you see them. You're going to use them. And Lord, for those who have kind of strayed, maybe they've done stuff, but Jesus, you're not the center of it right now. That, that you would be, that you'd reveal yourself in a fresh way to them. That they would just simplify everything and say, man, I want to love Jesus. Father, I'm burdened to pray for those who, don't, who came into this room today not knowing you by faith. Maybe they've been around you, but they just don't, they've just never themselves said, Jesus, save me. I pray that you would open their eyes and ears of faith. That even now they would say, that's it, I'm tired of the world's answers. I need Jesus. And that you would save them. That your spirit would move upon them in a way that they have great faith. Help them to know that you, Jesus, who are incalculable in your worth, how much you love them. That's why you died for them. Lord, I pray that you would continue to use each one of us and together in ways to impact those around us that we may not see now, but that we wouldn't give up. We wouldn't lose heart. We would keep doing what you've called us to do. We'd give, we'd serve, we'd worship, we'd pray, we'd love, because Jesus, you are worth it. And it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing to the glory of Christ together. Let's stand.